Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our next episode of the Sophisticated Property Investing Podcast, the place where we help you to make annual returns on your properties on a monthly basis. And I am very excited to be introducing you today to Kim McGinley. How are you, Kim? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Thank you for asking me to do this. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So Kim is from Vibe. She'll tell you more about what Vibe do, etc. in a moment. And I think, Kim, we've been working together for quite some time now. I was trying to add it up. How long do you reckon it is? I think it's been since early 2019. So really very close to when we were first launched. So yeah. I saw a Facebook post from you. And it was, I think it was, you know, we've been going this many months or something. And I just reached out to you. I thought you looked proactive and you looked hungry, hungry for business, which is always good. <laughs> and yeah, quite rapidly, you've you've worked with loads of our partners now. You probably know better than me. How many of our EPP partners have you worked with? It has with? to be over 30 of the partners, without a doubt, maybe more than that. But obviously, a lot of those are, are repeats as well. They go on to buy more and more properties. So it's been really, really good seeing that happen and seeing their portfolios grow. Absolutely. And they speak very highly of you still, Kim, after three years, which is that's the acid test, isn't it? It's easy to be blown away in the first few months. Yeah. Right? No, they've been great. Excellent. Excellent. So the reason I've brought you on, Kim, is because you are, without doubt, the person who I respect the most in terms of having their finger on the pulse with what's happening in the mortgage market, what's possible, what's not possible, etc. So before we get on to picking your brains and sharing it with our audience, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to, to kick off Vibe? Gosh, so before I launched Vibe in 2018, I'd spent around 12 years working for a couple of the specialist lenders. So investor financing has always been deemed to be more complex than your standard residential mortgages. Um, and it's what I really got to see. And that's that's where my experience lies is with all types of investor financing. And over those 12 years, working for the lenders was just invaluable. Um, I used to look after a lot of the really, really big packages and brokers here in the UK, which is why I've got some great relationships even now with them. But I also used to work with some not very good brokers at all. And I think it's from seeing that disservice that they were offering to their clients and seeing how that implicated on the client's mortgage applications was actually really quite eye-opening. And then for myself, I mean, coming from a process where I was underwriting my own cases, I was presenting to credit committees, I was seeing the internal conversations that were going on and what would work and what doesn't when a broker was packaging a deal for a lender. And yet it just got to a point in my life, I've got two children, and I thought I want to do something for myself. And I could see an opportunity for me to use that experience with working with investors um, by setting up my own brokerage. So lo and behold, in 2018, I became CMAP qualified. I didn't have to have CMAP for for investor financing. It's unregulated in in the mainstream. But I just wanted to get it. Should anything, any regulation come about, I'm kind of covered. So yeah, it was me, myself and I, home office, and then wind forward. I think within about a year, I took on my first member of staff, Beth. She's still with me now. She's my senior relationship manager. And we've just kind of grown the team from there um, in a really interesting time, you know, for all of us, pandemics, you know, war, the the economic climate at the moment, it has been very interesting. But 
uh, we've managed to grow and we're continuing to grow. So yeah, I've absolutely loved the process, um, all the highs and lows that go with it. But um, yeah, it's just investor financing is kind of just our thing. We always say complex made easy. And that's what we truly, truly do say. So what's complex to one person isn't necessarily for us. So there's not many deals that we can't place. But hopefully that gives you an overview. It absolutely does. It absolutely does, Kim. And I think one of your biggest strengths is you have been on the other side of the fence. So you're, you know, gamekeeper turned poacher. I think that's the right way around. <laughs> Which I think is invaluable it's because lenders fundamentally want to lend. They go out of business if they don't lend. And we as investors need their finance. So it should be a win-win symbiotic relationship, but often it's really not. It's not smooth. It's quite adversarial. It um, leads to massive frustration. And I think your background is what makes you really successful at greasing the wheels, really, and helping that, that, that relationship to flourish. And that is what a broker should do. And it's fascinating that you say that you've, you know, from the other side of the fence, you've seen brokers that have basically stuffed it up for their clients. And I'd love you to, with complete anonymity, give us some examples Kim like what kind of things where you know an unwitting investor who's got a good deal and a lender who wants to lend in what ways have the brokers messed it up because that's almost criminal because they're being paid <laughs> to just make it happen <laughs> and and you know I'm not tarring all brokers with the same brush at all but we do know that there's brokers out there that are like this but if I'm honest with you it's, it's so simple it's asking the right questions at the outset there will always be a case where you've got strengths and, and weaknesses to a deal and the part the job of a broker is to identify identify the weaknesses, understand them, and then mitigate them. And it's all in how you then present that deal to a lender so that you're being honest and upfront by saying, hey, hold our hands up. The client might have a bit of adverse. Uh, There's this going on in the background, but we think you should do this deal for these reasons. Um, Whereas there are some brokers that won't identify those weaknesses or they know about them and won't highlight it until further down the line when an underwriter is questioning it. And by that point, Valuation fees are quite substantial. We know that. You know, you're risking then a client's fees that they're being paid, and also to you as yourself as a broker, because there's a lot of brokers that charge upfront their fees. And yeah, by that point, and then it has to change lender, and then it's a new valuation. And so for me, it's quite a simple process, and that's what we've got. So before a client fills any forms in, we've got some key bullet points. I'd say no more than 12 to 15 bullet points, depending on the asset type. And that will then establish what the strengths and weaknesses are of the deal. Of course, there's things that come up at legals that we're not aware of, or maybe an evaluation report. But in the main, we've been able to to save clients a lot of money at, right at the beginning by just putting them with the right types of lenders because of the information that we know. And it's not a hard task. It's just um, it's just understanding that because I think when lenders feel like you're hiding information from them. It calls into question your integrity as a broker, and that then has a knock-on effect for not just that one deal, but for all of the deals going forwards. It's just not something you can risk as a broker, and also equally for your clients, because they're entrusting you with these large fees and large payments. So does that help to kind of understand how those cases were kind of going with the lending when I was there? Yeah, it really does, Kim. But also, and I'm not sure people realise this, the fact that some brokers, even before they've opened their mouths or before the email's been read or the application's been opened, are already at a disadvantage because of their history of bringing in <laughs> rubbish deals to the table compared to a 
a broker. And it's common sense that if Vibe always give us really quality business and, you know, 95% of what we get from Vibe, we end up lending on, oh, here's one from Vibe. They're going to, they're already looking at it positively compared to, oh, there's another one from Fred Bloggs Brokerage. Uh, the last three we've turned down, but we've wasted tons and tons of hours on it because it's not just the investor that wastes their time. The lender does and the underwriters, don't they? If they don't lend, it's, it's just wasted money and time. So I think that is so important to be using a broker who's regularly getting deals through because the rubbish ones, and, and you're absolutely right, there's some really good ones out there and some really rubbish ones, they won't be getting them through regularly because if they were getting them through regularly, they'd be good, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it is down to conversions. You're right. And more so now because of the market that we're in, the, the lenders are snowed with business. So I'd ignore the headlines. That was going to be one of my biggest points today because they're factually incorrect at times. And the mortgage industry is still very buoyant. I know it's more difficult to get cases through. We're very, very open to that. But um, yeah, their time is precious at the moment. So you're absolutely right. They, they can't be, they can't afford to be wasting time on deals that, that aren't actually going to go anywhere or have been placed incorrectly with the wrong lender. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's interesting what you've just said, Kim. So I was chatting to a conveyancer recently, Kim, their normal number of new instructions uh, for conveyancing per month is around 50 and they're down at 20. So that's like a 60% drop. But from what you've just said, that's not your experience and they might be a bit rubbish. I don't know, but are you seeing a normal level of uh, instructions higher than normal, lower than normal? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's exactly normal. I think that we're still dealing with the, the aftershock of what happened with the budget going back to last month so budget that wasn't yeah the budget that wasn't (laughs) god what a time that was Uh, but i think that now that the shock's kind of settled a bit we're seeing mortgage lenders reduce rates a little bit we're seeing quite a few more cases coming in so there was a period where it did dip i mean we'd have to be honest and say that but we're still busy talking through inquiries and deals and when they work you know they're proceeding but it's an interesting one with with conveyances because how do I say this in a polite and respectful way? What's been going on since the pandemic has elongated the legal process. That is without a shadow of doubt. The average remortgage in here in England is uh, five months, which for a remortgage is insane. So there have been some very well-known conveyances that have now, because they've just gone completely out of kilter with timescales, they've got too many cases. They've actually stopped new business that we know of quite a few um, in the UK. So it is swings and roundabouts. You've got some great conveyances, but they are literally just snowed under. So their transactions have slowed down because they purposefully said we cannot bring on anymore. But having said that, I, I have spoken to several others and there has been a natural drop that end. And I think part of that is going to be where, you know, offers are only valid for a certain amount of time. And offers that were issued three, four, five, six months ago that are now coming to the end. And because the legal process is shot to bits at the moment, they haven't gone. They're now switching to new rates. And that jump from what the rate was to what the rate is now can be so significant that in some instances, they can't borrow as much as they wanted to. So I think for that reason, that's probably why conveyances are a little bit quiet as well, because deals are falling out of bed that have been in in the process for quite a while as well. But I think... In the period of economic climate that we're in, that is inevitably going to happen. We're all going to see a drop of some kind in business. But it's just how you deal with that, isn't it? It's how you deal with that as a business, as a brand. If you can keep your service levels to to a good level, 
then I think there's always going to be business out there, even in the kind of turmoil that we're in at the moment. Absolutely, Kim. And I think as an investor, I'm excited about that. I'm anticipating it. And the fewer transactions there are, the fewer buyers there are, which means the more motivated and the less choice vendors have, which for me as an investor is exciting because I can get better deals and I will actually do more transactions. I I was just thinking actually before we came on, at the moment we're refinancing our 27 apartments, which we purchased uh, two or three months ago. And we're also going through, and you might not even know about these ones, Kim, because it's a JV partner, but we're buying 14 properties at the moment. And you guys are, are trying to find quotes. Did you know I was doing that or did you think no, that was no, someone else? No, I didn't else? know that last bit. No, no. So we're buying 14 at the moment. And those people, those people that we're buying 14 off, we made our offer over a year ago. And they said, oh, that's too low. I think it's 14 months later, they've come back and said, actually, that works for us now, which is fascinating, isn't it? They've spent that year trying to sell it at a a better price and have then realized, actually, we just need to cut our losses now. So, yeah. Kim, I have a challenge for you. You up for a challenge? Okay, yep, let's do it. (laughs) She says, she says, rather rather, uh, tentatively, yeah. Um, By the way, guys, I never prep our guests on what we're going to do because I think it's really more fun to actually do it. So I have a property that I'm planning to buy, Kim, and I thought I'd give you no notice and I would talk you through it live so that you can give our listeners a real flavour for the depth that brokers should be going into on that initial call. So I thought, let's do it in role play. I'll tell you, but you can ask all the questions, some of which I might have the answers to, some of which I might not have the answers to. But even so, that's really valuable, isn't it? Because then before I start paying money and you start, you know, instructing, etc., cetera, or, or putting applications in, we would agree what information I need to go find, etc. Or you could go, actually, Frank, <laughs> that's a joke deal. That's <laughs> never going to work. Forget about it. Move on. Is that right with you, Kim? Let's do this. Okay. So what type of property is it? So it's a church, quite a modern church, not like a spire kind of church. It's a brick church, probably 70 years old, something like that, on quite a large plot with a 1960s pebble dash church hall that's separated by about uh, 15 yards so it's actually two buildings on one plot okay perfect so what is the actual commercial planning use for the property at the moment so uh it's all changed hasn't it but it in old money it's d which was religious use for both of the um buildings okay lovely and what is your intention to do with it so i don't know if you know this kim this might be news for you but i have a, a national martial arts franchise do you know that about me i don't know if you knew that about me. i had no idea no so I've been running um, a martial arts franchise the last year now. We've got a bunch of franchisees across the country and my business partner's been in martial arts for 24 years, which is relevant because it's his company that will be that will be buying the building. So he's had his own school. He's had his own school for uh, 24 years now. We will be running martial arts in the traditional church building, the 70-year-old one, and then we have three plans. The first, let me do it in order of preference. Order of preference is to get, it's in a residential area surrounded by 1960s uh, council houses. First would be to get resi development on the majority of the plot and the church hall. So flatten that, get three, maybe four houses really easily on the plot. It's quite large and keep the hall and keep the church and keep doing our school in the church. That would be plan A. Plan B, if we get turned down for development is to get 
B planning, so B1 office use on the hall so that we could subdivide that up and maybe do some, um, uh, like like a HMO, but for businesses. So, you know, hot desking, etc. And then the third option, if we can't get any kind of planning on it, would be to continue to use it in the similar planning class, which would be, you know, dance classes, aerobics, yoga, those kind of community um, activities. The reason for that is the rent we can pay on the brick building, the 70-year-old building, will cover the mortgage, etc. So the the hall is kind of just a bonus. It, so the, the income that we can get for that is, is not essential. Okay, so there's two parts to this. Okay, all in one title. So what you're intending to do would it be with full planning in place to do what you're looking to do to the development and also to change it from religious purposes to the, I don't know what that would fall under for martial arts, if it's recreational or... It's sports clubs, yeah, which is a really similar planning class, but is uh, separate. It is separate. So my preference, I've spoken to a planning consultant. He said, uh, his exact words were, no local authority in the country will turn you down for this because there are no grounds to so it's a change of use we need no no um, changes in windows or doors or anything like that and he said they're going from a community hub a church you know where lots of people turn up at different times of the week so they can't object on planning ground or on parking grounds rather they can't object on noise because you know people are singing and stuff already this is just the same those same people are going to be coming here at different times of the week uh, for their martial arts classes he actually said i'm not sure i should share this but i will he actually said i wouldn't bother frank i'd just start using it they probably won't even be alerted and in four years you can just go for your certificate of lawful development I think it is. But he said, if you do want to go for the planning uh, change of use, absolutely no issues with it, uh, no concerns. So those were his words. But from a strict planning perspective, we do not have planning permission to run our martial arts classes in the halls uh, at the moment. I'll say the one obstacle that you're going to have is the religious purpose. So for commercial properties, there are um, definitely lenders out there that are still lending on commercial properties. 95% of them wouldn't lend for religious purposes. There would be a lender, but I think that it's just whittling down who would actually be okay with this because you're going to be buying it and then looking to change the planning. And also, I guess the martial arts coaching, just going back to that, there'll be a lease. Are you buying it personal names and then leasing it to the business or? Buying a SPV and then correct leasing it to the business. So we'll put a commercial 10-year fully repair and insuring lease in place, yeah. 10 year perfect so what they'll also want to see is um three i'd say the last three years trading accounts for the martial arts business yeah very profitable really strong and of course it's the same exactly the same business this is just going to be in another location you know so that i i figured that would be quite attractive to a lender yeah definitely so in order for us to go out as a broker to obtain some kind of um i guess appetite from the lenders in indicative terms i'd need the three years full trading accounts and you're buying it how much are you looking to put the offer what's it been accepted at so it's um coming up for full and final best offers so it's a dutch auction and so what we wanted to do was to work out what lending we could get and then we know what um deposit we we're happy to put in and that would dictate the price then i see okay so it's an auction purchase as well is it it is yeah Uh, well a dutch auction so so no it's not in auction conditions they're just 
wanting uh, so they've put a date and they've said we want all of our offers the all blind offers basically uh, by this date and then we'll pick our favorite one and then we'll proceed with the purchase so no it's not under court auction conditions if that's what you're if, if that's what you know that's fine i just didn't know if there would be the whole 30 day or 28 day yeah, you know restrictions uh, no I've, I've inquired with that and they said look the, the vendor's not in, in any kind of a hurry. Two, three months will be absolutely fine. So they're not in a hurry. Okay. So yeah, I mean, with this point then, so what I would normally do in this situation, I'd send across the email to you. Um, it would be requesting the three years trading accounts, um, the lease in place, what you think the market rent would be for that, the full address of the property. Um, and then that would potentially, because I already know your background, like a very experienced uh, landlord, I could then go out with that information to obtain indicative terms from the lenders to start whittling that down. In relation to the church hall that could potentially be for development, my then questions would be around, are you looking to split the title? That would be more short-term development finance, exiting onto, in, uh, you know, buy-to-let investment, term loan financing. And that is a whole kind of different kettle of fish. So whilst you're buying it under one title initially, when you actually go to develop that part of the property, that would be when the splitting of the title would come in because the commercial lenders wouldn't really allow under a term loan application for you to do that development financing on the land within that title. So yeah, that would be kind of the follow on questions from that, which is a whole other, you know, cost of works, how long you think the project would take to establish the financing because it's worked backwards on development finance from the GDV figure, the gross development value at the end. And it's kind of worked backwards from there so that they provide 100% of the cost of the works. But it's definitely doable. It would just be, like I said, establishing those answers to those questions. So I'm interested in this, Kim. Thank you so much for that. So I'm interested that you think there are lenders out there because I think we'll get it a much better price if we can put in a unconditional offer. Because I think most offers they're going to get are going to be developers putting in conditional offers based on being able to build houses on it. And they'll probably want to flatten both buildings and put on six or eight houses, something like that, Um, which may mean they can offer more than us. But what I wanted to do was to put in an unconditional offer, not subject to planning, um, that the vendor goes, actually, this is a sure bet. And it's probably we're going to have the money in our account six, eight months earlier if we sell to Frank. That was my um, idea. So are you saying there are there are a small number of lenders that would lend on it in its current planning class, um, obviously at a lower loan to value and a higher interest rate, I guess? Yeah, it will be without a doubt a higher interest rate, if I'm honest with you. Out of the lender panel that we've got, and in, in, in specialist finance, you, no broker can also say that they're whole of market. There's so many lenders out there that aren't even known, which is why the whole of market shouldn't and couldn't be used in our industry. But there's one lender in particular that I think could consider something like this, potentially two. But the ultimate, the biggest key factor here is the religious purpose for the planning of the building. They just steer away from it, all of the rest of the lenders. But if you're buying on a conditional sale that is subject to a change of planning to the sports use um, and also to the planning, then it would just open up your options, Frank. That's all. But all we can do at the minute, we start with working with your most ideal situation. And if that's not possible, we start to then expand and say, okay, well, is this possible for you to get the conditional uh, offer on the basis that you're going to get planning in place it just widens your options as an investor the other option that i've got kim and um really interesting uh, i didn't know that was possible by the way i, su- I suspected that all uh, lenders would require the planning to uh, the plan change of use to the planning change of use to have occurred because otherwise <laughs> 
they've got security on a church <laughs> but I imagine why they steer clear of it is because <laughs> there isn't a lot of money in lending in uh, having churches as tenants I'm, I'm guessing so my plan actually was if that was difficult was to buy it cash and then get the planning get the business in there because we I haven't told you this information but the the school the martial arts school is in existence it's currently being run out of a rented hall very nearby and a mile and a half down the road. And we will just move that school straight into this building as soon as we own it. So, and then it can grow. It can, we can bring on a lot more students because we've got a full-time facility basically. So my idea was to buy it cash and get the planning permission, which is probably going to take six months in the current uh, environment. It's so slow, isn't it? Grow the school. We can probably add another hundred students in that time. And then we've got a really, you know, solid tenant in place with a good school and we've got the right planning my question to you is this obviously there'd be a lot more lenders then and they'd be willing to lend probably a higher loan to value and a lower interest rate what would the difference be in rates and products i know you've got to go out and everything's bespoke but could you give us an idea because i think for our listeners that'd be really interesting because it's harder for me if i've, I've i'll give you a ballpark it's about a quarter of a million quid purchase price that's what i think we're going to get it at maybe slightly less and so that's opportunity cost of quarter million quid for, you know, by the time the refinance is done, if the planning's tw- six months, refinance six months, you know, it's a year opportunity cost. So it's much better in inverted commas to buy it on lending now. But if the refinance was significantly favorable, it might actually be better to, to do it the way I've just proposed with cash. So what would the difference perhaps be between those two different approaches of finance up front and refinance? Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, obviously don't take this as gospel without me looking at it, but with the lender that I've got in mind that potentially could do this, you're looking at a rates maybe 9 to 10% on a commercial basis. And that's not even on short-term finance. That's on a term loan where you're then going to be tied in for around potentially five to seven years. And that would be on a variable rate. So again, that's not even fixed. I mean, again, that's just hypothetical on the lender that I've got in mind that could look at this. The difference between that and doing it the second way is a case of that the high street lenders absolutely love trading businesses. Now, if you're buying that unit, you've changed the planning for the martial arts business to be in there. Um, you've got a formal lease in place, then I would my go to as a broker would always be the high street lenders. Barclays seem to be coming out very competitive at the moment. They offer variable rates and fixed rates. Um, I don't know what their current fixed rates are, but they did quote me on variable recently. And it was around it was in the twos above bank base. So you're still looking at around 5%. But actually, in the grand scheme of things where we're sitting in a market on a commercial basis, that's actually a good rate. So yeah, that would always be my go-to. I mean, the fact that it's an old, an ex-church building or it is currently, but hypothetically when they go to lend, it's not, that might well play a part. So they might be well be, you know, relying on valuers comments because if they ever had to repossess the property, how are they going to sell it? What are they going to use it for? So those questions kind of come into play as well. But like I said, high street all day long for something like that. And that's where the three years trading accounts would come in because that's what they would want to assess on the business. Awesome. It's fascinating. I think you've asked a lot of questions, Kim, and I think it's given people an idea of of how it's a two-way process guys and I, and I, I hopefully you've heard this because Kim didn't know about this deal I've obviously put a lot of thinking into it but I didn't know I didn't know all of that um I, one of my favorite sayings sayings Kim is every day is a school day I didn't dream there'd be someone that would lend on it as a as a church but at 10% I can see why <laughs> you know 10% for to seven years but that and that's 
but but it's not that expensive a building and we know what we can make out of it you know so it's just about finding that win-win so do you have any other questions that you might ask in this kind of scenario to give people an idea kim or do you feel like no you've got a a good enough grasp on it now to to move forward once i've provided you with with the information you've asked for i think the the key factors would be getting the full address so as a broker i'd go onto google maps i'd have a look around i'd see you know where it's located before i even send it to onto a lender so that would be very very key i'd need to get an idea of what kind of ballpark figure that we're looking at for an offer at least just to give them indicatively so again if there's if it's you said dutch auction didn't you then if there's a link to an online you know the sales particulars i would also get that and other than that like i said the trading account so i would follow up with an email just to request that information or take it over the phone and then i can put something together to go to the lenders awesome awesome thanks so much kim that's brilliant so my next question is we've talked a bit about what a good broker would do and you've given us a really good example there thank you we've talked a bit about what rubbish brokers how they can stuff it up but now i want to talk about clients so and i'm a bit nervous here like you 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 sound a bit nervous when i put you on the spot but you can uh, i'm a bit nervous here because i'm not sure which degree I fit into but um what do your best clients do that makes them really good clients um and what do your worst clients do that just makes you wish you weren't working with them what are we talking about as a good client and what are we talking about as a bad client I'm thinking ones that get loans through quickly you know and and make deals happen is that your definition of a client yeah and I'm guessing a bad client is someone who brings you loads of stuff but never actually does a deal (laughs) but you know what we know that that not necessarily because we know that it will come off one day for them they will find a deal that works so actually I mean I've worked for you know with clients where I've still not got a deal across the line, but they still come to me, they give me the projects and it's on the basis that, but as long as they're clear, concise with the information that I'm asking for, when you're asking for documents, what's gonna speed up an application and lead on to those quick completions for clients is providing everything in one go. If you've got, rather than being drip fed and it's double checking you've got the wrong right documents because each and every time it's just another delay on an application. So all of those small things actually equate to whether a case goes through smoothly or whether potentially it, it takes it a lot longer and that those can cause significant delays. If you choose to use the wrong conveyancer, that one of the biggest delays at the minute on cases is at legals. If you're using someone who you think is good, so I mean, what we're saying to people now is go to your conveyancer, ask them if they've got capacity, are they okay to liaise with us as a broker? Because you wouldn't believe it. Well, you might believe it, but we're hated. Brokers are hated by conveyances. That's the general rule of thumb. And we're very proactive as a broker for chasing conveyances to make sure not, you know, are they good for completion? Is the lender, is the client? Can we, do they need independent legal advice? Has that been sorted? And conveyances don't like to talk to other conveyances. Getting two solicitors to talk to each other over the phone, it's never happened for me because they want to do everything on email. And that just, again, it's like it tear my hair out because picking up the phone and having a quick conversation to resolve something rather than taking back and forth on an email, it's insane. So again, it's just using, making sure, I always talk about this, it's a little bit cheesy, but your power team, it's so true. It's having the right broker, it's doing the right due diligence so that not every broker's for every client either. And it's making sure you're with the right broker that works for you. You've got, you know, the estate agent, whether you're buying properties to, to notify you of those opportunities, it's the conveyancer. And there's so many 
parts that come to play that clients can kind of pull the strings on um, because they have got the power to do so. And, you know, it's just making sure you're pulling the right strings on the right kind of businesses, essentially. Does that make sense? It does. So I'm going to try and summarize that and then maybe we can um, spot any gaps. So I've heard you say good clients. So ones that maximize the chance of getting deals through and therefore, I guess, are going to do more deals, uh, which makes you more money, makes them more money. You know, it's, it's a win-win for everyone. They are concise. They give you everything you need in one go rather than over time in multiple emails, etc. And they have quality professionals that they're working with so they're not bringing new people that just frustrate the process did i miss anything out no that's great yeah perfect okay if you have rubbish conveyances, do you feed that back to the client we do we've actually got a list that we keep now in the office to say if we've had a bad experience you know it's all we can do is be honest with the client at the end of the day that's their choice to use them but we do collate that information to feedback on. You've got a list of good conveyances or a list of bad conveyances? <laughs> I'd say bad, but we, we know the good ones, we do. The other issue though, Frank, the complete other issue is that you could have the same firm of solicitors deal with someone very, very good, go back to them, get given someone else, and it's the polar opposite experience. We see that day in, day out. So we've actually been in, been caught out in the past because we've had a really good experience. We're like, we're going to recommend them client goes to them they've been given someone else within the same team and it's been horrific so again it's just yeah so thanks (laughs) yeah but some clients will say oh no I got recommended this particular firm that's great but just make sure the individual within the firm is good absolutely I I think you'd find that with ethical property partners like I don't actually think I'm a particularly good client I think I think I'm good at uh, as a supplier so I think I'm good at like training people and supporting people so I think that's where my strengths lie but as a client I'm, I'm just too busy I think that's the long and short of it so um you'll notice most deals that I do with yourselves it's not me that's involved um I might get involved if there's a problem or I might get involved at inception you know and uh, but then it'll be one of my business partners normally who's far better at detail got more time so I I check my emails maybe once every two days well that's no good when there's a deal going through you know poor Beth's gonna be pulling her pulling her hair out (laughs) with that and so um we did that that 27 apartments that we bought we were dealing with um a bridging provider on that and it was the biggest deal the bridging provider had ever done ever done we bought um we bought them cash for 2.5 million and bridging provider had never bridged that much they were a bit nervous you know she the woman we were working with there was obviously under a bit of scrutiny as you can imagine with that kind of money and it was my business partner maddie who liaised you probably know maddie norwich and she liaised with the bridging provider we already had a personal relationship so we didn't go through a broker and we've used them a few times uh, directly and the bridger came back at the end and said frank any deals you do in the future we would be delighted to work with maddie that was one of the easiest transactions we've ever done given that there was actually 27 properties on quite a tight time frame we had it under option option was close to expiring so you had 27 valuations 27 eicrs you know their residential asts it was a lot of paperwork and she just said maddie was a dream to work with and so she might go to you know someone else ethical property partners are amazing it's 
great. And then they get someone like me. <laughs> they go, oh my goodness, why did you say that? He's rubbish. We have to chase him three times. He's never available, blah, blah. So yeah, I get that. But within an organization, it can really change uh, a lot. That does make sense. So we know what good investors do. What about the bad ones? What are the ones where in the office, like your heart sinks when they phone up or you get an email? It would be lying is one of them trying to cover something up. Does that actually happen? To be fair, we don't we don't have it often. But and when I say lying, I think we haven't had someone lie that I know of, but they fabricate the truth. And it's not until you really delve deeper that you uncover kind of what's going on rather than it. Just, and that just takes time and effort. Like, you know, and all of us, our time is precious at the moment, especially industry so that can be frustrating what kind of stuff, what might they lie about like like me saying oh yeah, it's got planning for martial arts when it actually hasn't is that the kind of thing or is it- yeah something like that or you know if there's adverse credit how it came about if there's a proof of de- proof of deposit you know it's coming from here but actually it turns out it's coming from somewhere overseas from a long lost cousin or something and so that can be frustrating because that is a very key denominator for lenders so the source of deposit is huge and it has been for for a number of years now so again it's just the time and effort it takes to uncover all of that it could just be in a very upfront conversation so that again can be frustrating um i think one thing we struggle with at the minute, and it's not necessarily a bad client, I think there needs to just be a lot of empathy at the moment and understanding of what's kind of going on in the current climate in the mortgage industry. As in clients got to be a bit more patient and a bit yeah, more understanding. Is it, mean? Yeah. it goes a really long way. You know, we're giving, we're being given, unfortunately, unrealistic timescales by lenders. And this is just going to be an example. This is not all lenders, but this is just a a bad example or a good one for what we're talking about now. There is a lender that I won't name that we were told, evaluation came in, we were told 30 working days. And in any normal circumstances, 30 working days is an insane time to wait for evaluation review or underwrite. It then got to the 30 working days. We've got a client and a vendor that is just going nuts saying kind of, where is this review? We contact the lender. We then get told, oh, no, we've done away with our turnaround times now. We don't know when it's going to be worked. (laughs) You can imagine. I mean, we feel helpless as a broker. That's six weeks to look at a valuation and go, yeah, we're happy to lend. (laughs) That's crazy, isn't it? So then then what happened was we were working blind. Uh, It's been another three weeks. We then get told this week that it's going to be another three weeks. So this would take it to 70 working days. And as a broker, that is just so unacceptable. I've gone so high up there. We've now had to escalate it and give reasons why we shouldn't have to do that because we've waited so long till now. Um, But what's going on at the lenders at the moment, and, and again, this is unfortunately happening often, is that underwriters are so snowed with work, they're now being signed off with stress and sickness. And that then leads to lenders. That just makes it worse, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So then it's, but yeah, all we can do as brokers at the minute is work with timescales we're given, trust the lender partnerships that we've got, but that is really being tested at the moment. And for some clients, they either, some of them think that it's the broker that we're fabricating, you know, when it's going to be looked at, there's something we've done wrong when it's not the case at all. I mean, my team are tearing their hair out downstairs, trying to chase everything up. Where empathy goes a long way is just an understanding. Um, but you do get clients that are clearly frustrated and we have to bear the brunt of that. That's, you know, part of our job. But it's, it's um, it is a trying time at the moment. So the empathy 
would be a huge one for me at the moment. Just a bit of an understanding, that's all, you know, especially when rates were being pulled, you know, after that horrific budget that never happened. But oh my gosh, I mean, my team were up till about one in the morning securing deals for clients to try and just ensure that we were saving them money. And I think seeing them go through all that hard work, and I know this isn't just us as a broker, I know that there's a lot of people going through it at the moment. But again, I, I don't think some clients get to see some of that side that how hard the team work to, to kind of make things happen. So yeah, I think um, that should go on Facebook, a picture of your team at 1am. Yeah, that'd be good. Might not do your recruitment much good, but they are no, right. would put probably people off coming over. That's not standard, by the way. This is in that week, that week, that Tuesday, we will never forget as a team. But that was the worst day in the history of mortgages. It was at 3,900 products pulled. It was mental. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. Pulled yeah. with no notice. So, yeah, that was one we won't forget. It's up there. Some lenders closed their doors, didn't they? They just stopped lending. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating times. This is what I, I don't, when I'm telling people, don't just ignore the headlines. So, Rates could come down a bit more at the minute, but no one lender wants to be top of that sourcing system because what happens is they get about three months, we've known it to happen, three months of business in one day. And as a as a lender, they just can't afford that to happen. So it's actually got nothing to do with the bank base rate at the minute as to why some of these rates aren't coming down. It's because these lenders don't want to be, yeah, the most competitive because the minute they are, I mean, uh, there's one lender in particular came up with a great five-year fix this week. Guaranteed that will not be around for long because they will be so slammed with work, they're going to have to put the brakes on again. So it's not actually a case that, you know, it's interesting when you hear that because a lot of clients just see the news and think, oh, no one's lending. You know, rates are too high. No one can borrow. It's not the case at all. It's just, um, and I think fortunately for me running a brokerage is that we're needed now more than ever because of the timescales, because of the rates. It's knowing which lenders to go to. So we can truly add more value now in these kind of situations. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's really interesting. It's re- I love, I say to our partners, I say, guys, this unstableness, this lack of clarity, all this, all this changeability is brilliant for us because you're absolutely right every time the media say you know mortgages aren't available no one's buying of course people are buying but no one can sell it's great for us because it means that people are far more interested in our services which is uh, which is good definitely i think in these moments in these times i always say adversity comes opportunity yeah there will be opportunities over the coming year for sure absolutely what's your prediction kim um, I ask everyone who I think might have a vague idea and then we can accumulate them all. What do you reckon is going to happen? So they've gone up, they've come down a little bit. Lenders are, I don't know, it's a score out of 10, right? 10 is their most aggressive. So they really want more business. And one is probably that Tuesday or the Wednesday morning um, where you know they're really scared. How would you put the lender sentiment at the moment? Ooh, and you said one's being good as in they're ready to lend. No, one was awful. So one was that Wednesday morning. Yeah, and 10 is like the best it's ever been, which is, I don't know, 2004 maybe. <laughs> this is difficult because I said it's being driven, not necessarily by rates, but by capacity. But I'd say lender sentiment at the minute is sitting around, I'd say about six. Okay, so it's got a way to go then. It could be it quite a lot. It has got a way to go, but I think because, like I said, that's not me saying that because of where the rates are. That's me saying that because I know how slammed they are with work volumes at the moment. So 
I think once they start to sort that out, it will creep up to a seven, eight. But I think until we go through this unstable period, so rates are kind of plateauing at the minute, they've gone down a little bit, they will go up again. That's my estimation. And this bear in mind, I don't know anything, by the way. Um, But they will go up again, I think, Q1, Q2 of next year. When I say go up, I don't think I think what happened again in recent in the last, you know, six to eight weeks what was inevitably going to happen just happened a lot quicker. Someone ripped the Band-Aid off and we just shot to where we thought we would be this time, maybe next year. So actually, I don't. when rates are going to increase, I mean, the bank base rate is going to go up. I don't think personally rates are going to go up much higher from where they are now. But that's just my opinion. And I think, you know, come this time next year, we will start to see that come down again. My most important message is we had cheap money for so long we were spoiled for choice. And if anyone thinks that they're going to go down to where they were, I think is seriously kidding themselves. I think we're starting to go into, I hate the word, the new norm, especially after the pandemic. But I do think we're going to go into a new era of rates and it's going to balance back out to the 4 to 5%. Um, that's just my opinion. But yeah, I don't think we're going to see rates in the ones and twos, not anytime soon anyway. So again, it's just a change in, in education just to get clients around that concept that, it won't go back down to the level it was. I can remember, so I, I came out of, I was a secondary school teacher, Kim, I don't know if you know that. And um, I came, I'm learning I came a lot about of, you today. <laughs> the guys on the podcast know loads about me. Um, you know, the really funny thing, this will, this will make you laugh, Kim. Um, so I, I separated from my wife last year about uh, just over a year ago. I don't know if you know that. Oh, you do know that, don't you? Yeah. And um, I went out on a date and um, I was I was sat like having dinner. I was like, and this woman knew so much about me. I was like, like we had, we had a few conversations like, and I thought, oh, that's interesting that she's mentioned that. I'm really interested in that. And then we had another conversation and I was thinking, God, what a coincidence. And then she asked me something. I was like, how on earth do you know that? And she'd been listening. She said she'd binge listened to a load of the podcast. So she knew loads about me. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I'm a bit spooked by that. That's a bit scary. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there was a second date. But anyway, it made me laugh and gave me some some stuff to talk about on the podcast. But So when I came out of teaching, which was 2007, and I started my own lettings and estate agency. Um, and I can remember like doing a bit of reading. I was very green and wet behind the ears. And I remember finding out that Japan had had a 0.1%. I think it had been up and down, but below 1% interest rates for the last 20 years. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, that must be amazing. God, make so much money if that was the case. And of course, little did I know, we would actually have that for like the next 10 years. It's crazy. Well, it's been about 15 years now, hasn't it? Uh, Historically low. But it all balances out, doesn't it? Because yes, we've had cheap money, but that means prices have gone up, you know, and uh, there's been more competition. I sold a lot of property, bought and sold a lot property in 2009 when interest rates I don't know if you remember like lending was really hard to get and interest rates were really high I remember I was selling investment properties to investors and at the start of 09 they would make 200 quid a month for them and by the later on that year it lost them 100 quid a month and the only thing that had changed was the interest rates you know it's really um 
It's interesting. It is interesting. Kim, it's been amazing having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, your experience, the way you approach business, I am not at all surprised that Vibe has gone from strength to strength. I think it's like most times I go on Facebook, you've won another award. So I think uh, <laughs> I think it's incredible. And I, I love how you do business. And I'm so grateful that we get to do so much business together. We have a very uh, diverse audience, international audience, but the guys in the UK, if they want to get in touch with you, how's how would you like them to contact you? How where, where can they find you? Yeah, so I'd say email is probably the best way. If not, it's going to be social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Um, but my email is kim at vibesf.co.uk, and that stands for Vibe Specialist Finance. Awesome. And that's Kim, K-I-M. Thanks, Kim. Um, and you said Instagram, Facebook. Are they looking for Vibe? Are they looking for Kim McGinley? What are they looking for? If you look at Vibe Specialist Finance on any of those, then you'll be able to reach me. Awesome. And you can tell you've got the right vibe because they're all smiley people because they do loads (laughs) of business. (laughs) Kim, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed meeting uh, my top broker in the whole world. Enjoy your journeys. And until next time, happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.